it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Good morning. I'm Michael Steindl and we've got Kay Winningle here. This is the Beyond Zero show. We're recording in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated across Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet, either via bze.org.au or 3cr.org.au. Excuse the creaking microphones. <laughs> and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. Don't forget you can follow us also on Twitter with the hashtag at bzetechshow. Today we're speaking to Tristan Eders. Until recently... Tristan was editor of Climate Spectator, a website that covers the politics of climate change and the key business parameters. The primary focus was on Australia, but Climate Spectator also covered international developments of importance. Tristan took up the position of Climate Spectator in February 2012. He then spent the previous he had spent the previous ten years working with business and government in climate change and energy issues. Prior to that, he was a research fellow at the Grattan Institute's Energy Research Group. He's also held positions at the Clean Energy Council, Ernst & Young Project Finance Advisory Group, and in government with the Department of Climate Change, formerly the Australian Greenhouse Office. Have we got Tristan on air now? We certainly have. Hello, Tristan, can you hear us? Yes, I can. How are you going? Good, Good. thanks, Tristan. Um, you have been on this show before, um, but um, for those that haven't heard you, it was uh, before my time as well, um, we'd like to start with just a brief um, overview of how you became interested in climate change issues, if, if that's all right. Oh, OK. Um, all right, I'll try and keep it as brief as I can. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, uh, in my formative years around... Uh, the, this issue actually wasn't in any kind of dispute. I remember learning it in um, Year 7 science class. We learned about um, climate change and global warming and the greenhouse effect and how the planet would be absolutely frozen solid if it wasn't for the fact that we had um, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. <clears throat> and so that's what I learned in um, science class uh, many, many, many years ago. And um, then, you know, uh, uh, I was I became a management consultant and, you know, I was doing stuff related to, you know, things like trying to um, get uh, IT systems working properly for, uh, you know, the, the Melbourne City Link and marketing strategies and things like that and I um, watched a documentary um, where they had a uh, you know, procession of um, prestigious scientists um, explaining that we were really on a collision course with catastrophe um, if we didn't do something serious to reduce our um, emissions of greenhouse gases through combustion of fossil fuels and I thought well that'd be a useful way to spend my career and um, so that's that's uh, that's how I that, that's what really inspired me, I suppose. So how long ago uh, was that, Tristan? Sorry, oh, I that would have been around um, ninety ninety nine, I think. Mm. Uh, that documentary, and um, <clears throat> I then sort of saw some. There were some opportunities here and there. I went back to university for a period of time, just for a year, to do an honours thesis, and looked at the issue of um, business strategy and environmental sustainability. That was sort of my um, honours thesis. And um, then tried to find a way to get paid full time to 
to to work on the issue, and in the end, um, that that ended up turning into uh, a job at the Australian government's greenhouse office in two thousand two. Well done on that. I know there's many people um, with those sort of concerns, myself included, who would love to get a paid position in the area and um, instead people end up working for years voluntary just because of their commitment to it and because of the lack of paid jobs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started trying to write a book and it didn't go anywhere, but uh, out out of that whole... I mean, because when you're working in the Australian government under John Howard, nothing was going on. (laughs) So I was working in government and I was learning a lot but I wasn't doing very much. I was, uh, we were constrained from um, even recommending things to the minister, like we'd be sitting there working on something that we knew was absolutely useless. Mm. And, uh, but, uh, and you'd sit there saying to your, your um, superiors, look, we should be doing X. And they'd say, don't put that in, don't put that in writing. <laughs> <laughs> because they knew that the minister wasn't interested. And, um, and by putting it up there, it, it might put the minister in a difficult position if it were to leak out. But they'd have to explain why they weren't doing why, what the public servants said um, were the sensible things to do if they wanted to reduce greenhouse gases. So much for so, frank and fearless advice and speaking truth to power and yeah. all those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. No, it's not there. Um, well, it certainly wasn't there when I was there. Um, or maybe it was, but it was all done not through written Mm-hmm. but through verbal verbal advice, maybe. And, um, I mean, I think there was a bit of that going on because I subsequently um, did have private conversations with um, a former, the former Environment uh, Secretary, so mm-hmm. the head of the Environment Department, um, during that period that I was working as a sort of junior underling. And um, out of that, I think there were conversations going on and, and, and the Minister was facing challenges convincing his own colleagues about introducing an emissions trading scheme. Mm. So that's way back in 2003, um, the Coalition was looking at um, introducing an emissions trading scheme. Okay. Uh, and uh, it fell at the final hurdle at, at, um, in, in Cabinet uh, when um, John Howard knocked it on the head because he got a whole heap of letters from CEOs saying, we don't want you to do this. Oh, was that the reason, was it? Uh, no, yeah, I saw, the, sure. I saw the pile of letters. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine had to write the responses to all of these letters mm-hmm. sitting in her in-tray. <laughs> and I could just see her exasperation as um, she was having to write these ministerial responses back to all these CEO letters. But that's, make no mistake, that was the reason why mm-hmm. it, was, it was knocked on the head, this proposal. It was, it was um, to go to Cabinet to be discussed. Um, Treasury had done a joint submission with the Environment Department and um, and industry, and uh, we're saying this is the most sensible thing to do. Um, and it never got debated at Cabinet because John Howard um, knocked it on the head because he had um, you know, all these CEOs um, from major uh, corporates around Australia saying, um, do not do this. And um, he then subsequently changed his mind in... Um, 2007, because the business community um, told him actually, you know, wouldn't, you know, actually we've come to think about it and we think the states are about to introduce this game and we'd much prefer you did it. So he changed his mind. Okay. So getting on to the Coalition's direct action policy, yep. um, can, can you give us a bit of an overview of um, what the latest emissions projections are and, and how we'll go yeah. for the 20? 20- 15 to 20, so think, 2020 target? It, yeah, it's, um, so it's, it's just like this comedy of errors that have gone in the, um, the Environment Minister's fate. We've lost you, Tristan. Are you there, Tristan? Okay, now, while we're looking at getting Tristan back, um, we'll, we'll 
just play a bit of music. Hello, um, we've got Tristan back on air now. Um, you there, Tristan? Yes, I am. Sorry to drop away there. <laughs> Don't know what happened. No, just suddenly went dead. Um, so we've lost a little bit of our time. Um, you were just briefly telling us about the um, Coalition's direct action policy. Yeah, that's right. So um, it looks as though what, what's happened is the, 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 the Greg Hunt is going to manage to achieve his um, emission reduction targets, but it's largely through luck rather than through his actual um, policy. Um, so what's happened is the government has um, stripped away, I think they were projecting about a 700 million shortfall, uh, tonnes of CO2 shortfall to meet our target, um, and that's spaced out over 2013 to 2020 under our um, international um, obligations under Kyoto Mark II. Mm-hmm. And then what they did was they downgraded it to 400 tonnes and then said, oh, actually, you know what, there's a whole heap of things that happened that we didn't foresee and emissions aren't as high as what we thought. And then earlier this year, they downgraded it again to something like 230 million tonnes. And this is all happening. It's partly due to the carbon price and and the renewable energy target and a range of policies introduced by Labor and partly just um, uh, the forecasters got it wrong. And then what we've seen now is they released an update before the Paris conference of the emission projections and downgraded it from 220 tonnes and downgraded it by another 80 or so, 80, 100 tonnes, the forecast revision. So now the shortfall is only about 90 tonnes to meet the 2020 target and it has absolutely nothing to do with the direct action policy. But... When you're the Environment Minister, you take all the breaks you can get. And uh, his policy was expected when, before he was elected. He was promising it would achieve you know, something in the realm of 400 million tonnes of abatement. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's going to deliver 90, but <laughs> that's going to be enough to get him to his target because they made a bunch of forecasting errors. And it's so hard to explain that to the general public, isn't it, that, um, that it is slightly Yeah, I don't know whether I did a particularly good <laughs> job, but essentially... Um, <clears throat> We, we dramatically overestimated how difficult it would be to achieve the 5% emission reduction target by 2020. Um, and, and I regularly quote uh, Kevin Rudd, sort of wonder kid, kid advisor, um, uh, Charlton was his, uh, his surname, and uh, he's not working um, in the Labor Party anymore. But mm-hmm. Last time I caught up with him, I think he was, he was working at West Farmers. But... Uh, he wrote this piece saying how incredibly difficult it would be to achieve the 5% reduction target, and I just regularly cite that little quote um, that he made about how difficult it was because our population was growing and our economy was growing and all these sorts of things, and, and basically we've, uh, we've achieved it in a trot. We've absolutely ma- it's been so easy for us to achieve this 5% emission reduction target. We're in 2015, and we've already worked out we're basically going to be able to do it in a canter. Yeah. And uh, it's it's quite incredible, but it, it, it yeah. Sorry, you're still there. Yes, yeah, it, yes, it, it, went dead again. It's been, um, it's um, yeah. So it's quite incredible. But basically, the the minister's going to look like he's uh, he's delivered on his uh, promises um, because uh, basically a bunch of forecasting errors. It sounds to me like you're being generous thing when achieving, achieving it in a canter. It's almost like we're achieving it walking backwards. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean, maybe that is somewhat somewhat right there. Um, 
So yeah, it's um, it's, it's quite incredible. But he will, he, he's you know basically going to be able to get away with um, fooling the general public. I think um, that his his policy is actually doing something meaningful when it's it's really not doing a great deal um, to to change and, and better set up Australia for a you know a, a low carbon future. Mm. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show with Tristan Edis, who was editor of the Climate Spectator until recently, and we're discussing the Liberal Party's direct action policy, the RET scheme, and the Paris COP talk outcomes so far. So moving on, uh, Tristan, the latest on the Australian renewables meeting the RET target, you've just basically covered that. We, we have 90 gigatons, is it, to go? Yeah, we've got um, yeah, 90, mil- yeah, 90 gigatons, 90 million tonnes of um, CO2 abatement. 90 million um, tonnes, not is gigatons. expected to be um, uh, essentially remaining that needs to be delivered by the direct action policy. Mm. And this is still um, paying cash to achieve these reductions yeah. and no penalty for people increasing their emissions, which, coming to a later question later about uh, Australia's future... If we're to achieve meaningful large uh, reductions, what, um, how do we afford that? Um, because we can't just keep paying for every bit of reduction, can we? No. Um, and to meet this, uh, uh, the, the 28, the 26% to 28% reduction by 2030, it does require a significant step up in effort um, from their current target. And obviously even that target that um, the government is committed to for 2030 is very weak by international standards and very weak given the fact that we are the highest um, emitter per person in the developed world. I mean, we need to be going harder and faster than everyone else such that we're at an equivalent level of performance with um, our peers like uh, the US, like uh, Europe. Um, so uh, that, that emission reduction target does require a step up in effort, but it, but it is an inadequate target um, when compared against our, our peers. And, and perversely, I can't see how we're going to pay for it through taxpayers' money. Um, it's it's going to become unaffordable. And perversely, being such high emitters um, gives Greg Hunt the chance to claim that we're doing the greatest lifting because we're reducing the most when we have to reduce more than everyone else. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You sit there and they say, oh, we're reducing our emissions per capita by the largest amount. And you're like, yeah, but even after we do that, we'll still be the highest per capita emitter by a country <laughs> yeah, mile. forgot, forgot so, to mention that bit. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a bit of a joke, really. Well, the, the argument that the Liberal Party uses is that um, it's not cost-effective to have higher emissions targets like the Greens and the uh, Labor Maybe. Party is advocating. What, mm. what, how do you respond to that? Well, look, the government's own commission modelling from Warwick McKibben showed that um, going beyond the target that they'd chosen, going to, say, a 35% reduction, the, um, the impact on our, our incomes and our, uh, our economic size, our GDP, um, uh, was, was tiny. You know, there was, it was, it had this chart in there and it showed, it showed um, in, in this um, economic modelling that the government themselves commissioned and, and cite which showed the, the, how our GDP would change over time, how our economic, the size of our economy would change over time under different emission reduction targets. And you needed to get a magnifying glass out to see the difference between the different targets and their impact on overall GDP. It was, it was tiny. Yeah. And, 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 of course, the, um, the, the converse is the cost of not doing it, which thankfully at last 
um, I see the opposition leaders trying to get that message out, although fairly weakly, but um, there's just such a huge cost of not doing this in, on so many fronts. Are you there, Tristan, or have we lost you again? Are you back with us, Tristan? I am. I do apologise to the listeners. Um, <laughs> something, uh, something with the dropouts, but uh, should have full reception. So. Yeah, I'm not, not sure it's um, your fault at all, but something's just uh, giving up on us with no warning at all. So we've only yeah. got um, about five minutes left. The, the hot yep. topic, obviously, for everyone is Paris and meeting the emission targets. Can you talk, tell, brief us about Paris? Yeah, sure. So, um, so obviously, we've got these 2030 targets. Um, we've really got to see a step up in policy effort, and really, we've seen no change, uh, no change in rhetoric from the government with the, the move from, from Abbott to Turnbull. I think we've seen more positive rhetoric on renewables and the Minister's been saying just the right things on renewables about, look, if the the power retailers don't comply with the target, then they'll face the full force of um, the fines um, that are there in legislation. So that's great to hear that from the Environment Minister. But really what we need to see from them, and I don't think we're going to see it till after the election when they have a 2017 review, a review in 2017. Mm-hmm. We need to see something that's going to replace direct action with something more serious, and um, and that hasn't come through yet. Um, and really, that makes it um, uh, Australia's pledges in Paris. Um, you, you you struggle to take them seriously until we see some some meaningful policy action from the Australian government. Um, in terms of other countries. I think, um, look, when you, when the, the best analysis that's out there um, suggests that the, the pledges put forward for Paris have resulted in a meaningful reduction in the projected level of global warming to um, the end of the century. Uh, I think they've pretty much the, the consensus the opinion is that we're looking at it lowering the expected rate of global warming from something like 3.7 degrees to 2.7 degrees of, of warming above pre-industrial levels. And so that, for me personally, OK, yeah, sure, it falls short of 2 degrees, but that is some serious progress. But obviously what counts really is delivery. Um, and we've got to see countries putting a lot more policies to um, make their pledges a reality. And um, and that's, that's still somewhat challenging. Um, in, in some respects, China is probably the, the best because they've put the least ambitious pledge forward and it looks like they'll comfortably um, see do far more emission reductions than what they're putting forward in their pledge. Mm. And it, on, um, the, on the temperature front, um, isn't it? Aren't the developing nations calling for a one point five degree limit? They are. You're right. And um, so there's. Uh, I, I think you, you can give up on any chance that we'll ever get there, um, which is a great. Um, you know that that means that's going to be have serious consequences for a number of, of nations around the, the world and particularly the, the poorest people of the world that are that are relying on subsistence agriculture um, and also there's the Pacific Islanders um, in the low-lying um, Pacific and also low-lying islands around the world are um, under serious threat as a result of the fact that we I don't think we will be able to get um, global warming contained to one and a half degrees. Um, but uh, really, I, we're just not, I just can't see that we're going to get the political... Um, alignment and agreement from everyone to be able to achieve that target. Uh, I can't see it myself, personally. Um, I think it's going to be tough enough to... In fact, you've got a question, are we going to get our act together in order to contain global warming to two degrees, Uh, is is really 
it's highly questionable. Mm. And even that two degrees is, is such a political target rather than a scientific one. Can you clarify one thing for me, Tristan? I, it, it only really occurred to me, with two degrees recently, are we talking about never going more than two degrees or are we talking about two degrees, uh, maybe overshooting, but getting it back to a stable two degrees? No one ever defines it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is the issue. I mean, what's the probability attached to um, us wanting to keep warming below two degrees? Um, mm. I I haven't really seen that. I don't think that's been clarified in the international text. Yeah. When it, people it, say they want to limit warming to global to two degrees, does that mean with one hundred percent certainty? Does that mean with sixty six? Well, well, you're certainty? bringing in another issue: oh. the certainty of getting there, let alone whether we overshoot um, and, yeah, and come back to um, it. Yeah, that's right. So um, I think that these sorts of things are, you know, it's, 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 this is a challenge with you know, politics. Mm. It's a, a target, we need those targets out in 2050 and 2100. We need them. But um, politicians are happily sign up to them yeah. knowing that being able to say, well, look, at, I, I'm not going to be able to deliver on it. Yeah, we've literally got a minute left. Um, can you just talk to us about the prospects under Malcolm Turnbull? You did start to hint at that with that 2017 review. Anything else you can tell us about that? Yeah, look, so I, I think I've chatted to a number of people that have met Malcolm Turnbull personally. I, I had a most extraordinary meeting with him um, when he was on the back bench some time ago. And, uh, and the consistent feedback I get back is this guy just is all over this stuff. He knows, um, he, he understands... He does really science, get it. He understands the economics. But the problem is, we saw it in Paris. He's, he, he was reined in by the Conservative colleagues. Um, he couldn't sign up to a communique put forward by New Zealand on fossil fuel subsidies. So mm. if he can't do that, you, you've really got to worry about whether he's actually going to be able to fulfil what we see as his potential. Mm. Well, we're totally out of time now. Thank you, Tristan, and I'm sorry that we were interrupted with the um, issues with the phone call and the line. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for the the opportunity. Bye. And if you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done this, then you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. And don't forget about our sister show every Monday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Thank you. You can now hear 3CR in three different ways. The same content is broadcast on all platforms. 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, streaming live on 3cr.org.au.